Ooh, okay. I'm going to use that as our segue to the intro. One of the reasons I was fascinated by you, you don't see a lot of women in tech, let alone experts in SEO who are small business owners. And you've got so many different interests. I mean, talk about taking an alternative path, doing it your way and creating at least what I perceive to be as a pretty epic amount of success. And so Miss Christina Less wait, okay, hold on. I'm gonna we we have a new name here, people. So that's why the intro's, you know, a little a little unplanned. How about just Christina from Media Sash? <laughs> yep. Who I was introduced to through our shared friend and connection, Danielle, owner of Creative Cat. And SEO is something I'm fascinated by. It feels like it's it's almost like the secret sauce to the internet. And with everything that I've been obsessing over recently from Web3 to NFTs to blockchain, but always, always and forever empowering leadership and business owners and what I'm now referring to as 21st century CEOs, people that are interested in the future today, (laughs) understanding how SEO can position your business, how SEO can be leveraged to your own success and to really like wrap your head around what you as potentially a solopreneur or someone who's just getting started can do along with, you know, what are, what are the, the leaders in industry doing? And Christina, you've worked with the whole gamut, your knowledge and expertise continues to amaze me. You've created so many resources for people. It feels like you give it all away, but because you've created such like an artisanal level of support in business that you just take on a very few, very select, very powerful group of clients, which then also contributes to that success that you create in so many different areas of your life. So we're going to talk about it all today. We might get into specifics with SEO. I know you're going to share a resource. We created a resource a while ago that I'll probably link back to as well for people that are listening. But that was a lot because I think you're amazing. And so let people know in your opinion how you got here, why you think we're having this conversation, potentially your origin story, or even just where you're at right now, what you're working on, what you what you want to share with people. Oh, Nicole, that was such a wonderful introduction. And the feeling is very mutual. I feel like whenever we speak, the conversation, it, it it's very authentic and rooted in connection and community. And being connected to you has just been a gift to me to be able to pick your brain as well. So thank you first for having me. And thank you, Danielle, for making that introduction, which I'm sure she's going to listen to later on. She's definitely going to listen to this. Yeah. Hi, Danielle. (laughs) Hi. So knowing that I was going to talk to you and thinking about what my origin story was going to look like, I wanted it to be the response to be around like self-awareness, self-discovery, self-love, um, because our conversations go so deep and knowing that, that those are the kind of conversations I think a lot of your listeners have come to appreciate to genuinely know the person versus the resume. And so if I had to maybe come up with a description for that, I'm, I'm someone that comes from very humble beginnings, grew up in Brooklyn. And even from a young age, I'm not 
100% sure where this sort of stemmed from, but I always had this desire to succeed mostly financially. And maybe it was just because of my observation of the world around me and that there is something more out there. And I didn't quite know what that looked like. I just know that I had a goal. I wanted to be rich and that's it, right? <laughs> set, the, set the plan in motion somehow and I was going to make it happen. And then along the way, you, you know, life happens. It, it slaps you a bit. It throws you a lot of curveballs, a lot of pain, a lot of uncomfortable situations, a lot of lessons to learn if you want to learn them. And I feel as if through desire and luck, I'm going to put luck in there because I do believe it to you know, a high degree and opportunity. I, I've managed to slowly work my way up and that looked in corporate America, worked my way up there. And I've been solopreneur now for the last few years, which for me, I've come to learn is this environment that I thrive in. And I don't know if I would have truly knew that until I was officially on my own uh, to learn it, but it's been a, a path of what does my path look like? Where do I fit in? I've gotten better at learning how to learn and being someone who who's become a little bit more comfortable in their own skin and being able to make my decisions. So I feel like I, I've been lucky to learn from brilliant people, including you, and being able to take those amazing lessons and somehow make it my own and carve my own path. That was so beautiful. I mean, I'm, I'm going to have to ask, how did you discover this is your passion? Because I think a lot of people wonder, will I ever find like my purpose or is this my life's work? And it, especially coming up in corporate, it might feel like it's impossible there. But I find, you know, I like to call them corporate refugees. So many people actually hone their skills and discover their passions and are really able to build up like a powerful portfolio and evidence of work and, and also like connection. I see, especially in tech, a lot of people move in like whole groups with each other. And so it's easy to like shit talk corporate. But when did you kind of discover this spark and what did it take to turn that into this roaring flame that you are? Yeah, as far as my passion, it, that's such an interesting word because when I think of SEO, I don't know actually if that is my passion. What I do have in the industry is a lot of integrity and doing great work. And I've come to learn that that's really just the kind of person I am, whether it's SEO or maybe I'm an artist, maybe I'm a server. It's just doing the best that I can. But I have noticed within this industry, there are parts of it, there's a lot I don't like, but the parts that I do like about it is being able to help small businesses in having more of a fighting chance in that online search engine landscape because it's such a powerful tool to reach your customers online. And being able to help them and see them thrive is very satisfying. Another part of SEO that I've been really inserting myself is around digital accessibility. The part of SEO I don't like, I do, this is a hot take. I feel that my industry in some ways has ruined accessibility online because we're so 
we're prioritizing what the Google, Google gods are looking for in order to rank a website, but that then puts secondarily all users that need to be able to access that content. So now I'm trying to promote and give more visibility to how we can actually look at SEO second and put our users first because we're not just marketers. We are consumers of the internet and there's a lot of crap out there for the sake of crap. And when we truly put our users ahead of search engines, we're making the online experience more enjoyable for everyone. So that's, I guess, where there's some passion. Will I stay in SEO forever? I don't know. Maybe to some small degree, uh, it'll evolve, I think, over time. But similar to you, Nicole, I do have a very strong interest in financing, investing. I find that that's an important part that especially women should learn about. It gives us more options. It gives us more flexibility. And I'm so motivated by it. And I mentioned earlier that I, I wanted to succeed financially. And even if I'm not a gazillionaire, I still want to feel successful, partially monetarily. Yeah. Well, and I, I think it makes a lot of sense. We've been brought up in a culture and a society that uses money as a metric for success. And so it I don't have any shame around that. Also, money is a fantastic tool to give us access to the things that are important to us. So it makes perfect sense, especially in business, to use money as a metric. But I, I like how you framed it in the sense that by putting your people first, the user, your customer, clients, buyers, it completely shifts why you do business. And that is, I'm actually curious, why don't you tell me how with the people that you work with, what do you see shift when they focus on user experience over like just your sort of standard SEO strategy? Yeah. So when it comes to SEO, it's about optimizing your content in order to get that found. When we're putting the user first, it means that we're putting content that exemplifies thought leadership. It's the kind of content that makes you say, huh, that's very interesting. It's not a regurgitation of all the other content that's out there. And then it's not enough for someone to just come to your website. We, It's getting seemingly exponentially harder to get people to come to your website from search engines because they're evolving. It's not just the first few ads and 10 blue links. Now we've got maps and carousels and lots of images, all these different enhancements sort of taking up that real estate. And so you worked really hard to get someone to your website. Now what? And so we've optimized your pages. How do we optimize decisions for when people are finally on your website? Maybe that you find ways to uh, re-engage with them at a later time by encouraging them to sign up for your newsletter, just really providing that that value. And there was a stat I heard a long time ago that people are not going to buy from you or even click on your listing until they see you around five to seven times. So I want to make sure that I've instilled this incredible impression that I'm going to put out the best possible information because I have a high expectation as a user of the internet to all, when I'm looking, I want to encourage the chances that someone is going 
to remember me favorably and engage with me later on. It's so interesting because you said like intentionally you wanted this conversation to really be about self-awareness and self-love and the way that you're describing how you can build out an experience on your website, essentially your virtual world, your virtual shop front, your virtual office, the, a place where people can literally engage with you 24-7, 365, completely borderless. It makes you completely accessible and in so you have this opportunity to really curate this experience. So I'm curious, like how has your journey into self-awareness and self-love sort of informed this awareness around user experience? I almost think some of it is this muscle that you have to flex just a little bit because not everyone is going to take the same situation and learn from it the exact same way. Mm. I think for me, I've taken it and maybe there's a reason why some of this pain has happened. What can I get from it? What can I learn from this uncomfortable situation while I'm in this uncomfortable situation? So within the SEO industry, maybe that looks like you've had a difficult client. How can I learn to establish boundaries while I'm in this? Or maybe it's advocating for yourself for that promotion or that title change. And in a way, sometimes not being afraid of the outcome because it will all work out in the end as it always does. And there's a quote I heard a long time ago that whatever's happening right now is temporary, whether it's good or bad. And that that feels good in a way to know that. I feel that the lessons that I've learned, it's really just the start. I've only, I feel like the lessons too have been amplified when I realized what environment I thrive best in. I'm someone that likes to learn on her own time. So while I'm doing my client work, I've also left a huge buffer for learning and reading. And just this morning before our chat, I was reading The Intelligent Investor, which is a book from like a hundred years ago. Um, I was reading um, The Secret of uh, The Secret Life of Real Estate and Banking. So (laughs) look at us go, always learning, right? Um, So I I think that's part of it. And I think it's just maybe how I, I've decided to interpret it, it, the, what's going on. And maybe there's no purpose to any of this, right? But my brain can wrap itself, you know, wrap around that maybe there's something to this. So I, I like to cling on to, there's got to be a reason why this is happening. Mm. So how did like, I mean, you, that reason to learn to cling on to, there's there's something, there's a bigger purpose here. This will all make sense at some point and this too yeah. shall pass. How did you learn to trust that, to, to actually trust the outcome? I think when I was younger, maybe I, I didn't know to trust that outcome. I think letting life sort of unfold and and improve itself. It's so easy to look at what's happening and, and have this victim mentality. I actually think we're all victims, all of us. And that's okay to acknowledge that this is something that's very hard to go through right now. And even if it's just taking one step at a time, because maybe you have no choice, but to do that, it, 
I think I've been proven time and time again that it will get better. And I'm in my mid to late 30s now. So I think life has proven that I can rely on people. I don't have to feel abandoned anymore. Like I'm deserving of love and affection and and good things to happen to her. I think it will come in time. Beautiful. I love that. Thank you. Just a little bit more background questions. So how long were you working in corporate and when did you, when and why did you make the leap? Great question. So I was in corporate for actually 12 years. 10 of those years were SEO, the first two years were public relations. And then the leap was in a way forced upon me. I got let go. And when Had you been contemplating leaving? For the longest time. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So be careful what you wish for. Yeah. You know, but <laughs> Except you get, for that the universe delivered, you know? It's so true. But you, yeah. you know, sometimes it's so hard to make that leap out of fear, at security, golden handcuffs, like this, this money feels really great. That's how they keep you. Right. And then when I was officially on my own, I remember thinking, can I, let me see if I could do this for one month, which is kind of silly to give your dream just one month. It takes time to build and hustle and get where you got to go. And slowly but surely, it it became something. And I can't see myself going back to corporate now. And it's weird. It's nice because the people that like let me go, there's no hard feelings. I, I'm still friends with those people. I, thank you for doing this. I, I even described it to them as you sort of kicked this baby bird out of the nest and she had to learn how to fly. And they are so proud of me. So t- taking that very uncomfortable situation, almost where your safety looked, felt like it was rattled and learning that you can do this. And I'm so grateful that I got to a place where I realized that this is the world for me, the one that I I create. I get to work with clients whose values align with my own. I get to create my schedule and I get to create that safety net. So you've mentioned creation just a few times in the last couple of minutes, but you, you also mentioned art. And I know that the sort of exploration of these conversations happens around how do we kind of tune into that the greater groove, that that thing that really lights us up and foster and cultivate that creativity in our day-to-day. And sometimes people think about it like spirituality. Sometimes people think about it like straight up art. I know like my creativity is business, which can oftentimes feel like dissonant with each other. So do you think of yourself as a creative and or as an artist? Yeah. When I think of the word artistry, I think of someone that helps to make you think differently. Mm -hmm. And the way that I think I'm sharing my artistry is taking, for example, SEO or even finances. It's taking some complex ideas and really simplifying them in a way that could be retaught to others. So one thing about myself that I acknowledge is I'm a very slow learner. And I say that in the most loving way possible, right? Back in the day, maybe I looked at that negatively. Oh my goodness, you're not smart. How come you can't grasp this, learn faster? But I look at it now as my superpower because I'm able to take 
like ideas that have taken me a really long time to learn? And how can I reteach it in a way that other people will understand it a lot more easily? And so an example that I have of that in the SEO world, internal hyperlinks are important. So you have a link from one page of a website to another page on your website, internal linking. And when I'm leading from an accessibility perspective, we want the the text that's being hyperlinked to be abundantly obvious what the next page is going to be about. And the reason for that is because screen readers use it as anchors. It's almost the equivalent of skimming a page. And so they it could jump around to the different anchor texts. And so when we're saying exactly what that next page is about, it just provides a great user experience. Secondarily, that's also great for SEO. So the way in which I wanted to emphasize its importance is I took a screenshot from this one website and I blurred out all the text except for the anchor text, which is that the words that you're using to hyperlink. And the activity was guess what the next page was about. And if you can't guess it accurately, the anchor text needs to change. It means it's not abundantly obvious why, what that next page is about. So it's being able to take these ideas, think creatively, how can I teach this to other people to show its importance from an accessibility perspective? And then of course, you know, SEO, blah, blah, blah. But to really provide that great user experience. No, that's incredibly creative. And you're also synergizing passions and values and bringing that to organizations. And I'm assuming that you're working with people that accessibility is a value as well. And so like you said, you get to choose your clients. You get to choose to work with people who are trying to create a much more diverse experience and an experience that anyone can enjoy online. And so I think that, I mean, that's trailblazing, that's visionary. It's just not something that I think has been at the forefront of web design. When did you discover how lacking the accessibility for the user online is? I'd just be kind of curious, like if you have any stats on the level of accessibility or how many people are even thinking about accessibility when they're building their websites or how much of an issue this is, like how much of the, because I would assume a lot of the online audience, accessibility would be a, a really important component because for a lot of people, the only way they could experience a particular business or product would be through accessing it online. Yeah, I think COVID helped to amplify how inaccessible the web is because now everyone is at home and we're using the internet to engage with our friends or family, to work, to shop. And that's when it really amplified how terrible this experience is for a lot of people. And so I became aware of it during that time because in the summer of 2020, I was part of this one campaign here in Colorado where they matched marketers with small businesses and you will provide free guidance, consultation. And so I was matched with the owner of an adaptive fashion place and to provide her just free SEO guidance. And I had asked her, who's your audience? What are the challenges that you're experiencing? And it was through her that I learned how inaccessible the internet was and it changed everything for me. And since then we have regular conversations and I'll ask her a lot of questions. And I remember one of our conversations was, you know, I have to ask you, how do you 
craft alt text. And alt text, it, it stands for alternative text. It's the words that describe an image. And historically, SEOs have used that field to incorporate keywords to help ranking in image-based search engines like Google Images. But I learned that we were doing it all wrong. And she said, you have to use the words that describe the image because that field is not for SEO, it's for accessibility. And that's what really got me started on this journey. She connected me to some brilliant women where we had a webinar all on SEO and alt text for accessibility. I could share a link with you if you want to share it in the show notes later on. I would love that. Thank you. Yeah, absolutely. And that's what really got it going. And I would say over the last couple of years, there's been more conversations within the SEO community, maybe marketing largely. Now, the issue that has been brought to my awareness is that when we're having conversations around accessibility, it's not enough to have them. We need to loop in the very people that we're trying to support. Mm. So people with disabilities should not only have a seat at the table, they need to be at the head of the table leading the meeting. And the another way to think of it is, let's say we're having a conversation around female reproductive rights and there's no women at the table. We can see how that's been working out for us. <laughs> we need to have the people that we're trying to support in those meetings, leading those meetings. And advocates are very important. And I'm not going to tell you how to do it. You help me to understand it and let's work together and do this. Oh, that's such a powerful, powerful campaign. And thank you for sharing that resource because then I don't have to just like completely pick your brain about how we can do a better job, how I can do a better job on making my website and all of my content more accessible. So does this... Like, because I know you do a lot of different things. What do you consider your work? And I'm using air quotes for anybody that's just listening. Oh, I guess the the air quote definite, the resume definition is that I'm a search engine optimization consultant, but I like a, a more deeper definition is that while I said earlier that I think SEO is part of the problem. I also think that SEO can help to be part of the solution. And so I don't know how long I'll be in SEO, but while I'm in it, what can I do to make it better and still change? So my work is going to be around bringing more visibility to accessibility online. It's going to be around providing the best user experience, customer support, the best product that's out there. SEO alone can only get you but so far. I know everyone looks at us like we're magicians, but really we're just amplifying the good work that you have already done. So if you have a poor product, we don't want to bring visibility to that. <laughs> so that's what SEO is. We're just amplifying the great work that you've already done. So that's my job is to just amplify the goodness. So where do you, because I know you're pretty involved in the community and giving back also property property investments and then stock and trade investments like are all kind of part of your experience. And I'm sure you actually have a personal life somewhere in there as well. <laughs> so you got married last year. That's very exciting. I kind of take that umbrella view of my work as being all of the things. And 
it's like I'm the CEO of my life. And even, you know, like going for a hike or maintaining relationships, meditating, like I think things that some people would consider what you do in your off time since it's all my time. And my time is my most precious resource. So I look at like, as it all is my work, how do you think about all the different kind of components in your success? Oh, what a great question. You know, as you were asking that, the thing that sort of came to me is whenever someone asks me, oh, what do you do for fun? And I always feel as if I'm obligated to say something that is fun. But I actually, in my downtime. I like to learn and it's right. That's not fun sounding. It's not hiking. It's not traveling. While I like traveling, I also really just like reading. And so for me, in that downtime, I do like to read about money. I like to learn about self-awareness. One thing that I do do, and I don't know if this will answer your question. So I'm a bit of a minimalist, right? I love to purge. (laughs) There's nothing left to purge, but I love to get rid of stuff because I like having the world around me just be very clean and organized, even though maybe inside my head, it's not so much. So what I do is I go, I've read a lot of books from the library. And instead of keeping those those books, I have these uh, notebooks that I write down lines from those books that I love to learn. And so I've got two full books for any of the listeners. It's just like a small little notebook. I've got two big ones of these that are full of notes that have inspired me. And I come back to it and it reminds me about self-awareness, money. And I feel like this is part of my success. I joke around with my husband and I say, if our house is on fire, if I want you to save one thing, get the books. <laughs> um, I do the same thing. Well, I do a similar thing. So with Kindle, cause I'm an avid reader and I used to like bring all of my books while I traveled, but I'm also a very light packer. And so like to use half of your suitcase for books and, and I would just end up leaving these books everywhere. And so I eventually got a Kindle and now I'm completely obsessed with it, but you can highlight text in it. And then, and I get like the paperweight as well, just because I beat the shit out of them. And so the, that one's, I think it's like not even a hundred dollars, but it mimics an actual page of a book so I can read it at night. And it's cause like blue light will like really keep me awake. But so yeah, I highlight all of it and then you can just like export it to a PDF. And so mm-hmm. I keep all of the excerpts, but so does that, it's funny that you say like as well, when people ask like, what do I do for fun? I feel like it needs to be like a quote unquote fun answer. Cause people often say, what do you do? And it's like, you don't, that's just, it's like, where are you from? Like those two questions to me are just so obvious. I'll usually try and flip it around with another question. Cause I don't I'll, like, what do I do? If I have contacts, I can answer it because I, I know why they're asking and, and really the information that they're looking for. But it's just, you know, a, a kind of a random question. I'll usually just spin it around. Like how lame is chit chat? <laughs> but, and, and like what I do for fun looks like work to most people. Yes. Yeah. Or potentially lacks a little balance, but you know, you do you boo. The things that are fun for me are like how I kind of get into my creative process. So like reading a book, it is a dense, dense 
book on macroeconomic cycles and micro, you know, real estate. And, and it's heavy reading, but it really gets my wheels spinning, which puts me in the right space to have these expansive conversations. And this is also something that I consider, I call it like one of my energy stacking activities. Like I get so lit up when I get to have these amazing conversations with people. And it absolutely informs my creative process almost to a point, like I've had to just let people know, like I, I have my phone so that I can capture the ideas because they tend to happen while I'm in conversation with people or while I'm driving, neither of which are great times to just like stop, drop and, you know, capture that. What's your creative process? Oh, I, I kind of wish my creative process was more structured, but maybe similar to you, it when it happens, it happens, and mm-hmm. I'm going to capture it while I can. So I, too, have a notepad on my phone, and I will write things that sound like a good idea down. I'll come back to it and see if it still sounds like a yeah. good idea. <laughs> uh, sometimes it gets discarded. What was I thinking? And yeah, so for me, I'm a walker. I, I don't go to the yeah, gym. Yeah, me right? too. I, <laughs> I, I go to the for, gym, but I, I love walking. Yeah. Okay. I'm an urban walker and I could walk for extended periods of time. I'll listen and pop in some podcasts. And it's during that time that I'll start to think of how can I apply this podcast or what I'm thinking about in that moment? How can I sort of take that, learn from it and maybe share that message? So as far as social media, I'm not active really on anything except for Twitter because that is where the SEO community likes to hang out. Secondarily, I think LinkedIn, but on Twitter for sure. And so when I'm on that, I'm, you know, getting, trying to be creative. Um, I want to share things that are of value. And so I'll, before I post something, most of the time I craft it first and I'll come back to it and see if it makes any kind of sense. And, and if it does, I'll share it. Sometimes it gets good engagement. Sometimes it doesn't, you know, I'm testing here, but I want, um, when I'm sharing my creativity too and that process, I want it to I want it to be intentional. I want there to be speaking, not for the sake of speaking, but speaking because there's something to be said that is of value. And so that, I guess that's one way in which I try to get creative and then share that. Have you actually kind of crafted your life or at least your day-to-day around having this space, if it, if the creative process shows up for you a little spontaneously and unexpected, I find that that is absolutely like a lot of people's experience, but they've, they've created a structure that enables that. And so do you think your, the way that you've structured your business, maybe consciously or unconsciously allows for your creative process? Maybe, you know, one thing I will share. So Earlier this year, January 1, I decided I'm going sober. I'm not going to drink anymore, and I'm not going to consume cannabis anymore. And what's interesting is when I was consuming, I felt more creative, and it came sometimes easier to me. And when I decided to release that because I I felt that it was no longer serving me, And I found that the creativity was harder to sort of tap into. But whenever I do get those aha moments, I feel exponentially better that it came from me actually like digging deep to to find that nugget of information. 
So I'm still sort of navigating, I think, through what that creative process looks like because for so long I had a little bit of help and there's no, there's no shame in it. I'm, I'm so excited for what I've done and carving this different path for myself and, and no judgments at all for, for anyone, myself or otherwise. So, you know, as far as leaving that space to learn, I, I've learned years ago that in the morning time, I'm a morning bird. And yeah. Right. Uh, I'm not a night owl. I'm in bed by 930, but I wake up really early. And I, I realized by welcoming the morning, that allows me, that, that's less anxiety and allows me to sort of, um, that more. there's more creativity, I guess, that does happen during those morning hours versus waking up at the last minute and the morning welcoming me. So just that slight shift, I think, has really helped. Thank you for sharing that. I imagine that was that was a really big decision and I completely agree with you. Absolutely no judgment. I think everyone is entitled to their choices and it, you know, any substance. Yep. Like I look at like my rule of thumb is just like not not every day. <laughs> like because I think we can like you misuse caffeine. We can misuse exercise. Like workaholism. Mm. There's a lot of things that can become a habit. And I feel yeah. like that's how I kind of do it as I create the space for spontaneity. And so that absolutely means some days I'm just, it's just going to be a free for all. And I've certainly structured my experience to support my creativity. And like, on the one hand, I hate discipline and structure and routine, but what I've found is when I create that and, and allow for that, it gives me the space for the freedom. And so I also like, I hate waking up early in the morning, but I call it snooze or cruise. Like I can wake up early, you know, 435 and I can just cruise through. And I was, it's funny. I was having this conversation yesterday with somebody. I have the things that have to happen in the morning. Like I have my discipline and, and structure, but like, I don't know what order they're going to happen in. And I don't necessarily put a time limit on it either. Like I know I need to journal, like I like write and kind of get into my like creative space. I need to move my body. I need to meditate. I like a hot beverage, but unfortunately coffee is getting further and further away from me. Like now it's like my Friday morning beverage that I get to look forward to, but I allow that those first couple hours of the day to unfold in a way that feels really nurturing and supportive, but like mm. those things happen. And I try, it's interesting. I've been playing with the social media component. I used to have a antagonistic relationship with social and the, in the way that it felt like the worst part of my job, but I've been really working on that just for the last year as well. And so the rule was like no social media, but it wasn't, it wasn't because it actually is bad. It was because I my story was that I hated it. But now that I've transformed that and I, I actually find a lot of inspiration and creativity from that platform and from connecting with people, I'm noticing that it can be one of those earlier morning activities, especially like replying to DMs and comments and things that kind of like get my brain going. And, and that connection with people actually inspires me a lot. So I look at that morning opportunities to like yeah, snooze or cruise. Like I can hit snooze and I can go back to sleep. I have that choice every single day. And believe me, you at 4.30 a.m., my my ego's like, we can just go back to bed, sweetie. It's so <laughs> fine. You can just stay here and cuddle with your partner and cuddle with your dog. But I also am really bad at sleeping. So like once I'm up, I'm up. And then I just kind of lay there and I'm like, I mean, you, again, full permission. You can do whatever you want, but yep. we can just cruise through this day. So do you have like a kind of day-to-day -day routine that 
supports you and all of the success that you're creating? I tend to wake up when the sun comes up. Mm -hmm. So in the summer, I find myself waking up at 5.30 and in the winter, maybe closer to 6.37. I, it's just a lot easier for me to, to wake up. I was the- just, sorry to interrupt you. I was yeah. just listening. Like, and I've, so when, cause I, my brain kind of works like you want to talk about chaos. It's like, I'm watching all of the TV channels at once. And then like the volume turns up on like something that I need to hear. And so like, there'll be this buzz and like optimal morning routine, like coffee and caffeine and sunlight and, you know, photons into your eyeballs. But then like, I'll hear it like three times in as many, you know, in a 24 hour period. And I'm like, okay, we're paying attention. And so that's waking up when the sun rises, obviously don't stare at the sun, but getting sunlight into your eyes, sans glasses. I just removed my glasses from my face for everybody listening. We both wear glasses like that. And I'm playing no caffeine because I do drink caffeine. I just try not to drink coffee. There's something about coffee that makes me really fucking anxious. And it's amazing because when I'm tired, I'm like, I really want that caffeine hit. And then I have a second shot of espresso and then I have like a full-blown panic attack. And I'm like, okay, BC, how many times do we have to do this? Apparently it's a lot, but the getting up in the morning, breathing, moving, and looking at sunlight. Cause I, I do, I don't know. There's some, I like getting up before the sun only cause it amplifies that cruise for me of like, I get to move at my own pace and kind of wait for everybody else to like get going. And I'm in California now. California starts late. Like I forgot about that. I feel like in Denver, there's a lot of like energizer bunnies that are like, ultra marathon barefoot running at 4am and it's snowing and you're like, you're crazy. And I was in Utah and where I was in Utah, the Olympic training center. So you see a lot of those, a lot of those people, but anyhow, I digress. Um, <laughs> but optimal morning routine, waking up with the sun, getting the sunlight into your eyes as, as soon as possible is apparently like a total hack, if you will, for productivity and optimization of your day. Yeah, optimization of the day. I <laughs> You're love probably that. like that word. <laughs> I do like that word. Yeah, I think if I if I don't have any meetings with no one, I'll just take my shower, eat my breakfast, and just throw my hair up in a ponytail. And I'll maybe hit up a coffee shop. Even though I don't like working from an office, I do find being in a coffee shop very energizing. Mm-hmm. Uh, and everyone just keeps to themselves, which I like very much. Yeah. Uh, But if I do have a meeting, I'll throw in the hair and makeup session in the morning as well. And being able to wake up that early and welcome that morning, it I find that I'm take I'm seizing the day and it works for me. That's what I like. And and because I do start work a little bit earlier, I think than most, um, I'll try to end the day earlier as well. And maybe I'll just sort of, I, I love Judge Judy. So come 3 p.m. Get out of here. I fucking love. hate Judge Judy. That's oh. what I call my like gremlin, like my negative <laughs> self-talk voice. I call her Judge Judy. I love Judge Judy. I know not a lot of people like her, but I do. I feel as if I've learned a lot from her. My favorite quote from her is, you can't go to the restaurant eat the steak and then demand your money back because you didn't like it. And so I use that all the time, even shared it with Danielle. Danielle, if you made it this far, we're still talking about you. (laughs) (laughs) So, so yeah, it's so interesting to see how everyone has a different way of optimizing their day and everyone can still be very successful. It's really figuring out what 
you like, what you enjoy. I know when I was younger, people would say, oh, when you're in your 20s, you start to learn about yourself. And I'm like, I know who I am. I'm 16 years old. I don't, you know, you never know what that means until you know what that means. And it just seems like a lifelong journey. Yeah. Have you, has your day kind of evolved as your own journey and success has evolved? Yeah, I think uh, once upon a time, I'd wake up around noon and take a nap and then, you know, go out. It shifted to acknowledging what I like and not feeling shame. Or even on LinkedIn, you read a lot of people saying, this is my day. You you know, early bird gets the worm or whatever. And I, I don't like that. I don't like when people use the word should because it's yeah. a a word rooted in shame. And I don't want to feel shame for crafting a day that works best for me and what my brain and body like and what serves me. So I found a way that works for me today and I'm okay if it changes tomorrow. I love that so much. With your long walks, is that a daily practice or is that something that you feel like it's time for a walk? It used to be daily. Right now, I think it's when I I feel like I need, it's time to do this. Mm-hmm. Um, I'll pop on some podcasts. I'll download a few of them and then just go. And there are days that I will walk up to four hours. Just when you feel it, right? Your body is just saying, let's go. I'll do it. I'll do what my body tells me we got to do. That's really cool. 90 minutes, two hours is is like my kind of walk time. I have like when I get into my real groove. I'll also might have an idea like here right now. It's like I might want to walk like down to the beach, which is a few miles, it's, you know, five to seven miles, kind of depending like to and from, but like, you know, there's a variety of different ways I can go. And I will kind of start moving without necessarily knowing exactly where I'm going. That's kind of part of like, that's what I love about going for those walks. And like, especially when I'm in urban areas and especially when I'm traveling, I'll really give myself that permission to just go on an adventure. Uh, I definitely have to have my phone handy because I am shocking when it comes to geography. I can walk out the door and get lost. Like it's (laughs) unbelievable. There's some things in my brain that I think are just like actually broken. My calendar and maps, they're broken. But uh, yeah, I really love that. And I feel like that's one of the reasons like my partner and I connected is we can just walk out the door without an agenda or a plan and just kind of let the day unfold. And I know like for some people that is just not what works for them at all. And you were kind of mentioning that, like understanding what qualifies as success for you and how your day can unfold so that you're positioning yourself in a place to be successful. And that will change. Not might, it will (laughs) just being open to that. Yeah. You know, in marketing, A-B testing and seeing yes. what works does, doesn't work. I also think applying that to life and A-B testing on your life to see what works and what doesn't work. Okay, Miss Nerd. Well, how long do you think something needs to be tested before you have that, the data? Oh, that's such a hard question, right? That balance of how many times makes it statistically relevant to know with absolute certainty. I think sometimes even it'll take me one time and I know with absolute certainty, nope, I do not like this and I'm okay with not flexing this muscle again. And let me instead focus on the things that I do enjoy and and striking that balance between stepping outside your comfort zone versus acknowledging that that's just not a strength and I don't really care or, you know, it's such a hard answer. Oh, I love that. And I think like certainly with age, 
that answer has become a lot clearer for me. It's it's kind of circling back to that like self-love and self-acceptance. Just knowing like this is me. It's <laughs> like this like the the calendar thing like I literally had to hire an assistant just to book appointments in my calendar. And I, I I could have had a lot of shame around that, but instead it's just this level of self-acceptance and actually self-love and self-resourcing. But there are also things that I take on and, and I see this so much and I bet you see this a lot too with the consulting that you, not just the consulting that you do, but the give back that you do in your own communities where when we start something new, it's uncomfortable. And what I actually see is the more success people have created or the more history they have behind them, the easier it is for them to walk away from something just because it's uncomfortable. And we forget like, new skills, new knowledge, new experiences will inherently feel stressful and weird and uncomfortable just because we're not like, I, I don't know. I think for, for people that prioritize learning, maybe not so much, but I know a lot of people who really like just doing the same thing and being really fucking good at it. And when you introduce like a new stimulation into their environment, it is immediately interpreted as an irritant as opposed to just something different. And it might actually work. So you're right. It's like a really fine line between nope, not for me. And like, I'm going to step this out a little bit longer. Yeah. And and I think too, no matter if you've decided, okay, this isn't for me, or this is for me being okay with that decision, that, that self-acceptance, but Mm. also having that kind of acceptance of others through their own journey. Sometimes it's so hard when you see someone, you know, they have such great potential and they don't do the thing you want them to do, but to truly have that, that acceptance and that love for their decision and the journey that they're going down makes it so, so hard, but also can be so rewarding at the same time. I feel that acceptance is one of the hardest things to learn both for yourself and for the world around you. Oh, I love that. I, how did you kind of tune into that, into self-acceptance? Ooh, when did I, you know, the, the first thing that popped into my head. So when I was a teenager, I would say that I was going through some very rough times. I would say that it was maybe more difficult than the average bear. And then when I was in my 20s, I started to see people finally start to reach their hard times. And I didn't want, I, I, I realized I didn't want to be the person that would say, oh, when I was going through it, this, because I, people don't always want to hear your side. They just mm-hmm. want an ear. And so I'm okay with being the person that walks alongside you. I've, you know, I maybe I've been through hard times earlier in my life than maybe other people, but that has allowed me to be a, a really good support system then in that time and provide guidance from a, a place of understanding versus a place of this is how it should be done. It's a, it, this is one thing to consider. Here are things to consider. And sure, it's rooted in experience, but it's phrased in a way that is about you versus me. It's so funny because I'm listening to you and I'm like, I don't think Judge Judy does that at all. (laughs) (laughs) 
come on. She's so good. <laughs> Judy, if you're listening to this, I love Actually, you. Actually, if you're listening to this, thank you. That is amazing. <laughs> That's am- I love this. <laughs> well, just kind of one final question because like this trust and this energy and this guidance and a few things that you've said, it seems like you've developed this real intuitive ability in your own leadership and decision-making and guidance system. Does that feel like intuition to you or creativity? I often talk about creativity and spirituality as actually being kind of two sides of the same coin. It's like this energy that's available. And I, did you ever read, um, what is it called? Big magic by Elizabeth Gilbert. Uh, no, I read a different book by her though. Which one? Was it Eat, Pray, Love? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's that's like yeah. her big her big book that she wrote. But she talks about, because like we're having worked in the creative industries for so long, and I'm experiencing this right now as well, where I have a ton of ideas. And sometimes I'm even sharing them with people. And then I'm seeing that idea being produced. And it's, you know, I don't have any part in it. And it's like, uh, and what I've always coached artists on and, and reading like the book by Elizabeth Gilbert, she talks about like, there's all this stuff just kind of, you know, all of these ideas are just floating around and as a creator, you can grab them and you can put them out into the world. And if you see that idea happening, it's because someone else grabbed it before you did and they put it out into the world. And so that's where like, when I think about spirituality and that energy, that's, you know, sort of just beyond each of us, but coalescing and it's like creating this like powerful user experience online. You're, you're putting these solutions and this positivity out into the world. And that is inherently going to make the world a better place. In short, it might show up as one individual person having a slightly improved experience or, or a business potentially making another sale, but like, you know, it's the ripple that causes the wave. And so how do you kind of think about that energy? If you think about it at all? Yeah. There was this one quote that I heard a long time ago, and um, I'm going to butcher it, but the part of it that I I remember, it's something like, we are spirits having human experiences. Yeah, You know the one that I'm talking about? I do. I know the one you're talking about. I feel like the moment I heard that, it sort of shifted some of my perspective in how I try to approach life and maybe try to show up now. And the older I get, the more self-aware I become. And and who knows, maybe, you know, at the end of this, lights out and it's all over. I don't know. But, but I don't think that's the case because I remember a long time ago, very, very long time ago, um, questioning faith. And I, I find questioning religion to be very healthy. And so I was doing that at this very transformative time in my life. And I had this, I call it, it's such a weird word. I call it a lifegasm where I felt my heart just start to expand into just pure love. And I've never, I've only felt that twice in my whole life. And I'm, I'm always, I remember it. And I always try to remember back to that moment. How can I get it again? And it was since that moment that I felt that there's something greater there. How can I possibly feel something like this? I've never felt before. Just sheer love for everyone. Even the person blasting their music on the train. I love you. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) I love you so much. I love you. You're totally fine. And 
I want to believe that there's something bigger than all of this. And I like the idea of using Earth as a play, like a playground to to sort of learn and evolve. And my sense of creativity is going to look different than someone else's. But I'm trying to figure out what does that mean for me? What does that look like? And so it's really just been this journey of my spiritual journey of growth and learning about the kind of person that I am, the kind of person that I strive to be, trying to live my truest, most authentic life. And and the big thing too is I don't think I've always been self-aware. Um, I've hurt a lot of people. So having that forgiveness for myself and for others, the people that maybe I've hurt, the people I've abandoned, the toxic words that maybe I've said in a version of myself that I didn't like, but I'm going to try to do better. And I think that's all we can ask. So having that, that level of forgiveness for yourself too. Oh, that was Everything that's come out of your mouth has just been so, I'm just like, oh, that was so beautiful. It was so beautiful. It's like, so beautiful. <laughs> I feel um, the same about you. Oh, thank you. That kind of feels like a beautiful place to end as well. This journey of just, I, I used to call it my self-induced professional development program, but it was just this, this knowing like I'm going to keep learning and I'm going to keep trying and I'm going to keep putting myself in positions that challenge me so that I can grow. And yeah, it's using sort of intuition and creativity and inspiration to guide me on my path. And that's how I found you. <laughs> but is there anything that you would like to share? I know we didn't get all that into SEO. We talked more about accessibility online, but anything that you want the listeners to hear or know about that you're working on? I know we're going to share some resources in the show notes as well, but any last words? I think that's it. Just trying to make the online space a more enjoyable place for everyone, whether it be the content that you write, the product that you create, the services that you offer, the customer support that you provide, just doing, having integrity, being honest, and having a curiosity for life and and, and how to just leave this world a better place, right, than than you came into. Well, and I think you, you put it beautifully when you said, you know, a user first experience exemplifies thought leadership and it shows off what you're already doing well and focusing on that and not just trying to cram as many keywords into the first paragraph and every heading of the writing and copy on your website. I do know though, you're going to get some inquiries after this. So can people with media sesh, I know you, it's a pretty exclusive <laughs> group of people that you're working with. So if somebody's looking for SEO support, are you even taking clients? It's so rare that I feel like that you even have capacity for new clients, but where could you send someone if they're looking for SEO support? You could absolutely reach out to me. I'm happy to give free advice on SEO for small business owners. And even if I'm not able to support you, whether because of bandwidth or it really just doesn't make sense for us to work together based on interest, resources, budgeting, I have a network of SEOs that I would be happy to refer you to if they make more sense for you in where your business is at in its journey. And okay, and I think I said last question, three questions ago, but we did have that little workshop. Do you think the SEO game has changed 
significantly in the last couple of years. I think if anything, people are returning to SEO because pixels and cookies and even email tracking, all of that data is being abruptly evolved in this, like in this very moment. But to me, the the backbone of SEO, which is really what we discussed, because there's, I think it was like three crucial steps and probably seven steps in total that pretty much anybody can utilize in their own website. Have things changed dramatically? Should I not share that resource or? (laughs) No, share it. I think SEO, so I've been in it since 2009 and my perspective is that it's same, same, but different. Right. It still is about incorporating the right keywords that people are searching for. It's still about having a website that's technically sound. It's still about, to some degree, links. But I feel that there has been this movement over the last few years to really focus on the user first and foremost. And I just want to make sure that message is truly is putting the user first and not just saying that for the sake of saying it, because recently Google said you need to have helpful content. I don't know why search engines need to force feed people that information. We should just know to do that. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So yeah, I, I think as far as the, the, even that last webinar, then you, you and I had done it. It's, that fourth pillar, we have the content tech links, intelligence, the data. So being able to interpret the engagement metrics from Google Analytics or whatever analytical program you're using and interpreting that into insightful, actionable, next step business decisions. Mm, making so that we'll, next we step also, really obvious. Yeah. Yeah. And I think we also discussed that sometimes we'll look at the same data and derive different next steps. And that's okay. It's really to see what works and what doesn't work and keep moving forward. I love that. I love that so much. Like look back (laughs) at the data and you can make a new decision. The same old decisions may no longer be serving you or your customers. That's beautiful. Exactly. Well, thank you so much for creating the time and space for this. It's been an absolute joy reconnecting with you. I feel so inspired as per usual, and we're going to have to swap. Um, I think I read The Intelligent Investor. There was like four books that I read when I first got started, Walk Down Wall Street, The Four Pillars of Investing, The Intelligent Investor. And then there was one more. It was really boring. Um, (laughs) Those, they're so not sexy, those books, but there's a lot I've like, there's new books that I've read that are a lot sexier. And I'll share this one that I'm reading with you. It was shared to me um, by a friend, Coco D. And it's fascinating. So anyhow, we'll geek out on books after this. Please do. Thank you. Thank you so much. Thank you. 